Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to grow in popularity globally. I was going to say throughout the country, but literally we are downloaded on, I think, almost every single Canadian uh, cell phone or tablet, uh, home computer. So we're, we're huge in Canada. We're, we're actually bigger than the, uh, than the Track and Trace app. Yes, yes. We've been downloaded more times than the COVID tracing app. That is correct. That's that is right. Absolutely. Exactly. So my name is Jody Jenkins. It is I, Tony Clement. And before we get to our guest, Tony, I did want to talk about this because you brought it up and I've been looking at this on Twitter. You were blocked by Canadian singing legend. I, I would, I, she is a you know very well-known <laughs> singer, Jan Arden. You were blocked by Jan yes. Arden. Yes, I was blocked by Jan Arden today. Alas, uh, I said something which uh, she did not take kindly to. Uh, she had tweeted out earlier today about uh, the new Conservative Party leader, Aaron O'Toole. She tweeted out, Aaron is a tool, and uh, which is a kind of a schoolyard play on his name. So I just tweeted back, real mature, which has gotten 250 likes so far. Uh, and anyway, she blocked me. So, uh, alas, we will not be having civilized conversations, she and I, on Twitter, that's for sure. Now, it's interesting you said about the um, tone of her comment not being very mature and, and school-like. It leads me into something that I read about the leadership early, I think uh, earlier this week um, from Andrew Shear's campaign manager, Hamish Marshall, who, when yes. asked about Peter McKay's result, said something along the lines of, well, he had an open net and he completely missed. Yeah, I saw that. I, I think Hamish should have uh, let discretion be the better part of valor on that. Like, yeah. you know, you don't, I, I'm sure, uh, well, I do know, I do know how Peter is feeling, having uh, aspired to the leadership of our party uh, when I ran against uh, Stephen Harper and was mowed down <laughs> by the Harper juggernaut at that time. Uh, so I know how what that feels like. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was a bit gratuitous if I could give Hamish some advice, you know, don't don't go for the cheap shots. And uh, I, I think uh, if, if we can just skip to that, obviously, you know, and our listeners know, I, I uh, did support Aaron O'Toole for leader. And uh, uh, Jody, you supported someone else uh, on the first uh, on the first ballot, uh, Lesson Lewis, I guess, uh, on the second ballot, too. Because uh, she she uh, she hung in there until the third ballot, and uh, but uh, what is critical, and I, I know our guest want, will want to talk about this. What is critical now is that we all, uh, as conservative, if you are a movement conservative or or if you are an activist conservative, that you you rally behind the leader, and it was a decisive result. Fifty seven percent of the points and 59 percent of the popular vote went to Aaron O'Toole in the on the final ballot. So no one's going to be questioning that result. And um, let's uh, let's turn the page. Uh, Aaron O'Toole has already had a very successful inaugural press conference as leader, and uh, he's going to have to make his case to Canadians. I, I let me put on my nonpartisan hat and say the jury is out, and uh, let's uh, he's got to deliver, and that's what uh, party members want to see from him. Yeah, and the one thing and I would I, say, and maybe we'll get into this with our guests, but I, I would say right off the top, the first thing I'd be doing, and maybe they're already figuring out a way to do this, is I would be getting Leslin out as much as humanly yes. possible, even though she's not an elected member, I would be figuring out a way to get her out in front of as many people because it is very clear 
that she has appeal to not only she conservatives, does. but the broader voting public. And I think they need to capitalize on that. Yeah, and I've already had uh, given that advice already. And uh, I think there's a, certainly a, a desire and a determination to get her involved in some manner uh, and get her in Parliament as soon as possible. And I, I, I did uh, reach out to Lesson Lewis. I, I think I, I think I'm allowed to say this because even though it was a private conversation, uh, but I just said, hey, you know, anything I can do to make uh, to make your transition to the next stage for you, uh, you know, I'm I'm here for you. And uh, I know many party members feel the same way about Lesson Lewis. Well, due to time constraints and our uh, yes. going on, we can't get to our guests, so we're going to have to push well, them off. Listen, thank, we'll have to thank our guests. <laughs> no, we won't do that. We've got a few more minutes left. Uh, so let me introduce our guest. He is the Member of Parliament for Central Okanagan, Samil Kameen Nicola. I hope I've said that, pronounced that correctly. That is in beautiful British Columbia. He is the opposition critic for employment, workforce development, and disability inclusion my former colleague and friend, Mr. Dan Albus. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Tony. Hi, J- uh, hi Jody. Thanks so much for having me. That's great to have are you, you on. In, are you in downtown British Columbia or in Ottawa these days? Well, I'm in Ottawa. Uh, as, you, as you know, last week, uh, Christia Freeland and Carla Qualtro were announcing the new changes uh, for the CERB benefit as they go towards an EI system uh, at the end of September, as well as some new recovery benefits. Wanted to make sure that I was glued in to what they're proposing and to offer some reaction. Uh, but you know, you know, this is not your standard summer uh, okay. by any stretch, by any means. And uh, so we're we're all trying to do our best, uh, so our new leader has the best information possible. Well, I was going to go through this. Uh, you've you've flipped around my order, which is great because I do want to talk about the liberal agenda on CERB and what they're planning uh, and maybe talk a little bit about how that is morphing into a universal basic income model. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on CERB right now? Well, I, I think it's uh, a little bit of political games here in Ottawa, Tony. Uh, you know, you don't just probe Parliament and cancel a scheduled accountability session. Uh, we were supposed to have the COVID-19 uh, committee meet uh, actually today. Uh, or, to, pardon me, tomorrow. And, uh, you know, for them to, to, to uh, put forward such a massive change with zero discussion in Ottawa, really, it just it seems to be very, very obvious that it's a channel changer for the government as they try to pivot off the Lee scandal. So, um, you know, this, this is more just about them throwing it out. Many reporters, uh, myself, I asked this, the question is, you know, why, why can't we be debating this now? Why can't we be analyzing it? As you know, Tony, uh, you know, $37 billion is a lot of money. And uh, we, we have a lot of questions about who it will apply to. And to say, oh, by the way, the CERB is going to be winding down September. Uh, actually, it's October 3rd is the official end date. Uh, but, you know, to be having recalling the House on September 23rd, uh, having a speech from the throne, that's going to leave days before that program winds up. And so they're proposing other things. And to me, that's not how you run a responsible government. So they're putting uh, they're putting a pistol to the opposition's head and saying, yeah, Serbs going to run out unless you agree with our changes immediately. Uh, people are going to be hurt. Is that what they're trying to do? Yes, well, absolutely. And, and this government, right from the very beginning, Tony, has never shown a lot of regard, and this prime minister especially, uh, for parliament. 
and so, you know, to, to, you know, we could be going through this to make sure that there are, uh, you know, that, that there are, everything is covered. We've seen time and time again, when the government presents its uh, COVID-19 legislation and says, we need this passed in a day, uh, that there have been holes. Look, look at the original wage subsidy. It was supposed to be 10%. Uh, we ended up pushing back hard on that, and, but it took them over a month to be able to, to finally agree that they needed to change it uh, to 75%. Uh, you know, the, the Canadian emergency business account, we told them right off the, right off the bat that they were leaving large amounts of businesses out. And so it took them time to change those things. You know, Parliament is a deliberative body. And when we have debate and we have committee study, we can improve legislation. And so I think it's irresponsible to, uh, to be, you know, simply saying, you know, you're going to have days uh, for this to pass through both houses. It, it really is a bad, and, and of course, it's not going to be the prime minister or his cabinet that pays the price for that. Uh, it's going to be Canadians who are left out of their programs. Now, I, you know, when CERB came along, obviously we were in the middle of a, a pandemic crisis and uh, all the businesses were being uh, shut down. Uh, I, I thought CERB was a, a reasonably good idea. I, I, I noted what was happening in the UK. I thought their model was better, but hey, you know, uh, any port in a storm, so CERB uh, happened. Now it seems to be morphing into a quasi-permanent status. And uh, we're, uh, you know, if you're a conservative, obviously you don't want to be against people getting money when they have no alternatives. So how do, how does a conservative opposition uh, go up against a government that is determined to make Serb or its next iteration kind of permanent uh, without, you know, pissing people off who are saying, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, my business is shut down or I, I don't have enough to put food on the table and this is giving me a lifeline. What's, how do you thread the needle on that? Well, it's pretty simple, Tony, that during an emergency like a war or a pandemic, obviously government's going to take an increased role. But the question is, are they showing proper stewardship of taxpayer dollars? In fact, we had public servants raising uh, with their ministers that there were red flags uh, and they were told if there are red flags, send the money out anyway. Even if someone is not eligible under the CERB Act, just send them the money to make sure that it happens. And so a lot of, there's been lots of cases of potential fraud, et cetera. But you know what, if we hadn't had at least some money out the door, Tony, uh, it would have overwhelmed a lot of, uh, uh, of provincial social assistance programs that just were not ready for it. But you raise a very good point. The CERB was designed uh, while the economy was closing down. And as we seek to reopen and to make sure we get people back to a safe return to work, um, we noticed that many employers were not getting uh, the, you know, people back, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But we actually wanted to improve the CERB uh, with what we called our back-to-work bonus, meaning that mm. when you earned more than $1,000, the government was going to claw all that $2,000 back and uh, for some people, they, they, it took mental gymnastics for them to be able to decide whether they should go back to work. Now, we propose this back-to-work bonus where you would have a clawback similar to the EI system of working while on claim that's very well-established, has a lot of ground rules, but they failed to implement it. Now, the new program they're talking about, they're talking about a COVID recovery benefit actually incorporates that thinking into it. So, you know, it, it's, it's always strange, Tony, how they, they, they seem to resist our ideas or say that they're, oh, there's no, there's nothing to worry about here. 
but there's tangible examples where the economy and the taxpayer have been left holding the bag um, where the, by the liberal uh, government's inaction. Now, you also talked about, you know, a bigger discussion uh, for, you know, the social safety nets. Should it be a guaranteed minimum income? Should it be uh, a new enhanced EI? I would just say this to start with. We can't even get out of the Minister of Employment what the current status of the EI fund is. I asked her this in the House months ago. She then sent me a, a document that said, we will let you know the status of the fund as of March 31st in the fall. Uh, and so I said, well, wait a second. That's only going to capture two weeks, essentially two weeks of COVID-19. So we actually won't even get the full picture of the EI fund until next year, until 2021, uh, fall 2021, if we follow their schedule. So, and let's just be mindful that employment insurance is paid for by Canadian workers and their employers. And if we can't even find out what the status of that fund is, it's their money, right? Exactly. Uh, how, can you, how can you have a conversation as to whether or not their new proposals are good? So th- this is some of the challenge. We, you know, we, we need to have an accurate read of the finance. And as you know, Tony, transparency is an important step to build public confidence. I'm going to pass the baton to Jody Jenkins. Uh, he's chomping at the bit here. Jody, what do you want to ask our guest? Where does the best wine come from, Dan? <laughs> well, that's easy for me to say. Central Okanagan smoking in Nicola. Uh, actually, it, it, recently in the Financial Post, they did this great story uh, where they actually talked about two different valleys that I have. And my, one is the Okanagan. Everyone's very familiar with Mission Hill, Quail's mm. Gate. Uh, Grey Monk are some of the bigger names. Uh, if you go down to the South Okanagan, you have Tinhorn Creek, uh, and there's a number of great wines down there as well. Um, but the Samokamin Valley is uh, really a, an up-and-coming uh, wine area, and it has a much different terroir than the uh, the Okanagan. So I was really excited to see such a, a you know, when, when Financial Post did this article, uh, it was all-encompassing, talked about the different terroir. Now, you know, if you talk to a lot of Ontario Niagara MPs, uh, they will argue, uh, you know, that theirs is better or Prince Edward County's is better, better or Nova Scotia. But uh, Jody, you deserve a firm answer. The Okanagan, Simone. <laughs> and, and as a follow up, on average, how many bottles a week would you drink in Ottawa? <laughs> well, you know, when I came to Ottawa, I was a total teetotaler and people would make fun of me. No, they would make fun of me. They would say, they would say, wait a second, well, we have some from the Okanagan. Why don't you order our wine tonight, Dan? <laughs> and, of course, uh, when, when, you, when you know nothing about the different vintages and terroir and whatnot, now I, I, I can talk a good game uh, uh, and whatnot. But you know what? What's really annoying to me is that we still do not have real free trade, whether it be Canadian wine, artisan distilleries uh, and their spirits, or, or even our craft beers. I saw Jason Kenny was touring a, a brewery on Twitter just a, a few days ago. And uh, again, both the premier and the owner of the establishment said, you know, we'd love to expand our markets and to share our craft beers with other provinces, but we still can't seem to get uh, a free trade uh, of these great Canadian products. Well, you were, you were one of the, the, the real warriors on the free the beer campaign that uh, the Conservative caucus had a few years ago, and and yet n- not a lot has changed since then, has it? 
No, in fact, we've actually seen it step back. Now, let me just start. In 2012, I was able to, with the support of yourself, Tony, and a number of other, uh, actually all MPs uh, supported the measure. It was uh, the Free, Free, Free My Grapes Bill, uh, C-311. That went through both houses, became law, and we saw immediately Manitoba, NDP at the time, Manitoba, opened up its, uh, you know, the, the free trade of Canadian wine, British Columbia as well, uh, as well as Nova Scotia. Since then, we've seen Saskatchewan, and uh, then all the rest of the provinces, for, for whatever reason, uh, whether it be vested interests, uh, you know, whispering into their premier's ear, uh, not wanting to see this go forward, uh, we didn't see any further provinces join on. And since then, the governing liberals, the federal liberals, uh, actually removed any reference uh, of any responsibility in the free trade of Canadian beer, wine, and spirits. They actually removed that from legislation. They said, provinces, you decide. Uh, they, they, in their so-called uh, Canadian Free Trade Agreement uh, that they came up with in, in 2017 uh, when it took effect, still has a working group on alcoholic beverages, but they have gotten very, uh, haven't really gotten anywhere since then. So, you know, it's really sad to me, Tony, because this is one of those files where, you know, we're, as Canadians, we want to see people succeed. The people in my riding, those entrepreneurs, particularly those in, in, in small family wineries, they work so hard and there's so many things that could go wrong, you know, whether it be the marketing of a wine, whether it be the terroir, whether it be, uh, you know, they get the wrong person, uh, you know, mixing it, uh, you know, anything can go horribly wrong. Or, or, by the way, you know, you could have the Alberta NDP uh, you know, say we're not going to accept any BC wine because we, uh, uh, you know, playing politics with the issue. So there's so many things that can go wrong. Um, you know, you think that we would want to be able to give consumers more choice. We want to see more investment. We want to see the Canadian uh, brand itself. Uh, because quite honestly, I've been told by a number of, uh, you know, either, if you go to France, you go to Spain, you go to Italy, they love their wine. They have such domestic hold over their country that that allows them to springboard uh, with economies of scale and with, with a strong market behind them to be able to become exporters. And, you know, Canada, we, we make great wine, but we don't, we could, you could, we could own that same position as an Australia or as a France. Uh, but, but we need to be able to support our vintners. Bravo. Hey, I got to ask, I know, you know, I know your time is short, uh, can you give us your top of mind reaction to the leadership race and what immediate challenges Aaron O'Toole has uh, to uh, to start his his new role off right? Well, I would say that if I was the prime minister and his staff and I saw that speech uh, on on Sunday night, followed with that press conference that Aaron O'Toole just gave as his first one as the leader of the official opposition, where he answered question after question. You know, I would be getting worried because here we have a gentleman uh, who has real world experience outside of Parliament, 12 years as a helicopter navigator in the Canadian Armed Forces, worked as a private lawyer, helped found True Patriot Love Foundation that serves veterans' families. And that's before he became a member of Parliament in 2012, quickly became a parliamentary secretary, was moved into the Minister of uh, Veterans Affairs, uh, was very positive. Uh, and now as the leader of the official opposition uh, in both French and English, he's going to be out communicating this prime minister. So you know what? 
uh, Tony, you know, the way he answered questions, uh, you know, today really shows that uh, he is going to outmaneuver uh, and he's going to apply every tool that we have to hold this government to account. Now, uh, one thing I, I, I just want to mention is there was a great uh, John Iveson piece in the National Post that talked about one of the main qualities Aaron has is his self-belief. And I'm reading a book right now uh, by Andrew Roberts called Leadership and War. And one of the most important attributes a leader can have is self-belief, belief that they can do it. Uh, and so, you know, Aaron's, Aaron's going to out-communicate, uh, and, he's going, and when he says he's going to do something, I felt in my bones today that the Canadian people are, are, are going to believe him. And that's so caucus, uh, caucus is going to be unified, do you think? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, there's always going to be a bit where 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 someone you know was was competitive and wanted to see their guy or their gal get ahead. But at the end of the day, we believe in Canada and the, Canada itself right now. Our national interest is uh, going in a different direction than where the, the Trudeau Liberals will take us. I, I don't want to remake society. I want to conserve the best elements of Canada right now. And so I, I think, uh, quite honestly. Everyone's going to see that it's 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 need to be the party that Canadians need uh, in the next election, whenever that will be, and we need to support Aaron. That's one of the reasons why I'm so happy he got such a you know an overwhelming 57 percent you know uh, where it's a convincing win and 59 percent of the popular vote too. So 57 yes. percent of the points and almost 60 percent of the popular vote. So you're right about yes. that, and uh, and uh, certainly as conservatives, we wish him well. Uh, Jody, do you mind? I have one uh, question I got to ask Dan, uh, and then I'll leave it with you. But uh, uh, Dan, I was reading your bio, and it says that you were a martial arts instructor in yesteryear. So I got to ask, what did you learn about leadership skills as a martial arts instructor? Always watch out for the guy or the gal in the back that stops to do an extra set of push-ups or to do an extra round of sparring. Uh, they don't talk a big game, they work. And to me, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's how, you know, uh, for myself, uh, you know, if you're com- committed to always working a little bit harder than everyone else, it's amazing uh, how that uh, extra mile uh, carries you forward. So, you know, uh, a, a good work ethic is important. But, um, you know, that's often what makes the difference between someone who's good at martial arts and someone who's a champion. I like that answer. That's That's a a good answer. That's a good answer. I was going to follow up with, if you had to choose one MP from any party, Dan, that you could, like, roundhouse kick, who would it be and (laughs) why? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Careful, Dan. (laughs) You you know know what? Uh, You know, uh, I really like Brad Viss from BC. He's a conservative MP. He's a big guy, and you know what? I, I think he's I think he's a little heavier than me. I always like a challenge in terms of uh, size. Uh, I think that we would have a lot of fun. Uh, well, the UConn, like, we no, no, we have a saying in, in my martial arts school is is that by the time you hit level four in the style of kung fu that we studied, you were such a nice person that you wouldn't want to fight anyone anyway. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, wow. uh, Actually, you know, a, a big part is that natural development you have. Uh, you want to have that, that comfort in your own bones. Um, but, uh, and that allows you to do lots of things, um, like speak in public or, uh, you know, uh, go out of your way to help someone. 
you know, so to me, martial arts has always been something about it that allows you to do things, not uh, not to take someone down. Yeah, yeah. But on the uh, serious question too, though, just so I was thinking about it, male or female in the house, who any party, who would you think? Who is the toughest? Like who who could really like you would not want to go with? Is it you? That's a really good question. I, I you know, sorry, I, you know, Jody, I've never thought about uh, you know about that. Um, I'm just thinking some of the more athletic MPs. Like there's gotta um, be someone in there know? that can throw them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. sir. Yeah. What about the kayak guy? Uh, oh, Vancouver. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know him very well. From Milton. Yeah, no, no. But, uh, you know, anyway, guys, the, uh, this is the one, <laughs> it's usually where I don't get stumped on anything. So I'm going to have to get back to you, Joe. <laughs> Well, listen. This, this is what this show is all about. We always have one stump question, so don't don't feel bad. We've uh, we've stumped other people before. So, uh, Dan Albus, it's been great to have you on the program. I know you have another appointment, but uh, best of luck as the fall session happens in a few weeks' time. Uh, I know that it's going to be uh, a lot of Canadians are going to be watching with great interest, and uh, best of success with that. And if a fight breaks out, I'm blaming you and Jody. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's happened before. <laughs> Excellent conversation with Dan, and he, he didn't have an answer on the toughest individual or toughest MP. Do you have any thoughts? Like, who? There's got to be someone in there that like could really go. Well, you know, uh, it's funny. I, I'm thinking about in the last Parliament. Uh, uh, you know, Ralph Goodale had a good, mean disposition. Although, you know, he's a little bit more elderly, but, uh, you know, he, I, be, I bet you uh, you wouldn't want to have him in, a, in some dark alley somewhere. So that, that's what I would pick. I really want to find this out. Like, I, I, I've, you know, it's funny. I've never really thought about it, but there's got to be someone that is, like, super tough. Well, even a senator. Like, was I was going to say that Patrick Brazo guy at one point. Yeah, yeah. Trudeau beat yeah. him. Maybe, maybe Trudeau's the toughest. Well, we had an MP, Ryan Leaf. Oh, yes. I remember him. From Yukon. Yes. And he was a former mixed martial arts okay. guy. Okay. So maybe he's the guy then. So maybe he's the guy. And he had an MMA mat in it. I remember in his uh, in his Ottawa office. Okay. He had, a spar- he had a sparring mat in his office. Okay. He's the so guy then. That's the guy. He's the guy. He's the tough yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ryan Leaf was the tough guy. There we go. All right, Tony. Thanks so much. That was great. Uh, looking forward to chatting in another seven days and doing it all again. You got it, my friend.